As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Welcome to The Phil Hay Show, brought to you by The Athletic and The Square Ball. From The Square Ball, I'm Dan with Michael from The Square Ball, and of course, from The Athletic is Phil Hay. A chance to subscribe right now for a pound a month for six months at theathletic.com forward slash leads pod where, Phil, you will find the debrief on the season that has just gone. And we're going to get into some of the stuff that you've written about in there. So I want to pick your brain about it, if that's all right. Oh, there's a spring in your voice. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you ever listen to me? You need to start believing in what I'm saying. Yeah, you kept messaging me about the little bit of madness in Leeds. And I was saying to you, listen, I think they might have spent it all um, with strikes header against Brighton. I, and... I have to say sorry to people because this has been absolute doomcast, isn't it? Total misery for the past, um, at least the past two episodes and probably the whole season, if I've been brutally honest as well. It's been a miserable season. It wouldn't have been in keeping to be chirpy with some of the things that have, have gone on this season. I still don't think we, have, we really saw this coming though, did we? I don't think really saw a kind of last day shootout where it was that close and, and it was that dependent. You, you know, that, that point in the second half where it was down to one goal, Burnley equalised... Leads are down. Um, oh, I saw that coming. <laughs> when, when did you see it coming? I only saw this coming on the weekend of the Manchester City defeat. That well, was I, the, not that I didn't think they were in a bit of trouble and not that I didn't think that it was all too close for comfort, but it was the Manchester City weekend where I thought, this is really serious now. This, mm. this might be in the post. Yeah, I'd said it on a couple of previous shows, hadn't I? And Because and I realised, I did the calculations, thought if there's a Leeds way to do this, it'll be to send it right down to the wire, which is why I predicted that none of us would get any points for the rest of the season and we'd squeak up on like a draw or something like that. But it was not dissimilar to that. I knew it'd be very Leedsy. It always is, isn't it? There's never an easy way to do it. Although it actually turned out to be, relatively speaking, a lot more comfortable than we expected. Marsh afterwards said to us, they tell me that Leeds always do it the hard way and that's something I want to change. And I was sitting there thinking, well... Good luck with that. <laughs> You've got 103 years, <laughs> know, like, 103 yeah. years of history to undo this. In, ingrained crisis and panic and stress, yeah. Let, well, let's just um, walk back to yesterday then. We'll get into the game in a minute. But how much sleep have you each had? Not a huge amount. I, I did find it. I mean, I was back late um, on the trains. Even they were on time yesterday. You know, it was just the perfect day. I was saying I might have walked from York Station on my knees home. Con, thank you, LNAR, for at least one trip this was, season. Is this the, the Legion United equivalent of, um, is it Ice Cube? Today was a good day. Yeah, exactly that. that yeah, exactly that. Um, not a lot. I don't feel like I've had much sleep this season. It's been it's been one of those. Do you think that you're going to look back on this season 
with a bit of love now or not? No. No, I don't think so. No. Certain moments. There have been good moments, which we can now enjoy properly because we stayed up. Yeah. That's the thing. Because it's put them all in context, hasn't it? Exactly. And it it was I was I was likening it the other day to uh, potentially being a the playoff semi where you've had some a great experience, but then you go to the final and it takes the it sort of takes the joy away from the semi-final win because you yeah. can go, you can go, yeah, there was that last-minute winner, but ultimately for nothing. So we can we can look back now, I think, on some some good moments and some weeks that just dragged on forever and ever and ever. I suppose you you did get the conclusion yesterday, which is one of those one of those moments that you don't get that often um, to experience it, and I don't think you want to experience it that often. But in the moment, and with it all going in, Rafinha, you know, all going on, Rafinha in the way end players as they were, the atmosphere as it was, the, just the massive, massive rush of relief that everybody needed. Um, it was kind of great. It was like I, I was looking at the players in front of the way and thinking there's like this glorious sheen over them somehow at the end of what has been a horrible, <laughs> it's like an Instagram, horrible season. An Instagram That's filter. That's what it yeah. is, yeah. The, the, the filter that everybody's been applying to that, the, the, the photo of Rafinha <laughs> swinging his, his shirt around, making it look like a sort of Renaissance painting. It was... It was, I mean, we'll, we'll dig into this properly, but it was so desperately needed in so many respects for people's sanity initially, um, but also because of the consequences of going down were absolutely no joke. I went down on the train yesterday morning. It was quiet on the train. Normally the trains are really rowdy and it's funny. Some of it's really inappropriate. People are getting stuck into the beers and everything else. Yesterday there was just that vibe of everybody fearing the worst and I bumped into four guys at King's Cross I said to them, what do you think? And three of them said, I just think we're going down. And one of them said, well, you might as well hope for the best because what's the worst that can happen? Amen Relega- to that. Relegation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, he, he said, you know, it's my heart saying that rather than my head. I don't yeah. I actually really believe it. And that was the that was the mood. I dressed in black yesterday. <laughs> Pre- preempting a really dismal um, live stream podcast afterwards. I, I don't know if that was subconscious or not. I'm not sure. But it was likened to me last night. Somebody texted me and said... Uh, Last night it felt much more like coming home safe, safely from a war. <laughs> Not something to be happy about specifically, but a huge relief. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the alternative was worse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, talk about clinging on. After the Burnley game at Villa, it's funny to think how, how absolutely critical in the end that block from Tyrone Mings was. Leeds United's favourite player doing it when it mattered. Well, but mind um, you, even if it, they'd won that game, they still wouldn't have caught us as it stands. Just. No, but don't you think it would have made a huge difference to yeah. the, the pressure on the respective fixtures? It was crucial, and I did see the um, I did see the, the Leeds fan who'd said that he'd promised to have Ming's face tattooed on his arse if Leeds stayed up. This was t- t- about two days before the Brentford game. So if you have, get in touch. Let us know. Send us a photo, or get Tyrone Ming's arse tattooed on your face. Or you could you could do that. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. an alternative. Yeah, we, we need to get them pictured together, really, don't we? Like, <laughs> get them get them in the in the same room. Uh, but there was no optimism after the Burnley draw at Villa. I did a, um, a piece, I did. I, uh, sat in, I sat in here and gave you some optimism. I said, you, you always give us optimism though. Come on. You, yeah, but you, the yeah. stopped clock yeah, that idea. Doesn't, uh, yeah, no. it doesn't count. Um, but uh, I did that Twitter piece of, you know, what people are saying. And everybody was just saying, oh, fuck. Like, you know, it's like, this, is, um, this is curtains. Have we finally had some luck in this end bit of the season? Because it feels like we've not, We've not played particularly well. I think the, the last two games we have definitely played. We've been better, and there's been more width to it, and it feels like there's a little bit more of that old style there. But if a lot of it is, I feel like we've things have kind of eventually started to break for us as the seasons come to a conclusion. Yes, although 
I couldn't help feeling watching Man United at Goodison and Chelsea at Goodison that Everton, and again, I'm not saying they've been lucky to stay up, but they benefited from from two performances there from teams who really you'd have had down as winning at Goodison on the basis of how Everton were doing and didn't turn it on at all. You know, did, did not play well. Chelsea did not play anything like at Goodison as they did at Ellen Road. Yes, Leeds definitely have had the the odd break here and, here and there. I mean, finishing up against nine players against Brentford is quite a bonus on the last day of the season when you're trying to stay up. I mean, that is sort of ideal scenario. But I've been quite critical of Marsh, Marsh's tactics latterly and, and of some of the performances. I did think fair play to him yesterday. It wasn't perfect and it wasn't like the, the performance from start to finish was outstanding. And there was a period of 11 versus nine where you, you were sitting there thinking, <laughs> just score a goal. They've only got nine players. Just, you know, just, just score a goal. But the decision to play Greenwood in centre midfield was mega. I mean, that's the kind of decision where if you go down, you, you do it, you lose the game, you play poorly and you go down, you, you're inviting the attack dogs, aren't you? And I think when, when he was suggesting that he was going to do it earlier in the week, there was quite a lot of surprise at the club. Although someone was saying to me that Bielsa had always thought of Greenwood as somebody who could kind of play in that zone because he is very good at short passes, at running off the ball, you know, at linking the play nicely. And it it kind of worked, you know, him and Phillips together. It worked better than some of the other combinations that there have been with Phillips. And it didn't take that long in the game to get the feeling that Leeds were properly in it. You know, you have games with Leeds where you look at it and you think, Chelsea being one recent example, and actually parts of Brighton as well, where you think, well, they're going to score here. And uh, they just don't look like they've they've got it together. But it was different at Brentford. And they did have chances. You know, Mbwemo in particular had, had a couple of really good ones. But I thought Leeds deserved it. And I did think in a really, really high stakes game, it was a kind of feather in everybody's cap. Was that the closest we've seen to a 4-1-4-1 then, do you think, under Marsh? Not necessarily any more so than he tried to set out with against Brighton. But it did seem to be, it wasn't a two in midfield as such with Phillips and Greenwood. Greenwood did seem to be slightly more advanced. But there was a bit more width in the team yesterday, definitely. And they did create more chances. I think that's been one of the big problems is that they haven't looked much like scoring. And you go back to the Crystal Palace game and as it turns out, shall we say now, not a bad point. Fantastic. Yeah, it's definitely the way to go. But if they had gone down, that's kind of prime example of a game where you would have said, well, there was a different way to approach that if if you wanted to. But it was just more fluent in parts yesterday, and they did find ways of of cutting through Brentford. And I wouldn't have said that Brentford in any way were trying, you know, trying to just tick off the last game of the season there. They were properly into that game. The crowd were, some of the players were. You saw Canos before he got his red card getting booked for taking his shirt off there was nothing much in it for them particularly but everybody knows that there's a bit of a bit of needle there a bit a little bit of history Thomas Frank was um, typically sort of gracious afterwards <laughs> I, th- I thought it was a bad game <laughs> so reminded me of David Brent I didn't want you here but you're here now welcome <laughs> you know, sort of thing. well done Leeds but that's, that's how it is on the last day same with Liverpool and City you either deliver or you don't. Mm-hmm. Leeds did, Burnley mm-hmm. didn't. Right, they at, go down. right at the right moment as mm-hmm. well, yeah. How, how much did you sleep, Michael? Mm, I went to the pub afterwards. So I got, <laughs> I got this Pontefract and I was like, wow. And Graham was out, it was my mate in Ponty. I was like, Can I, should we go to the pub? Should we go to the pub? And then we went on from, from the kind of nice pub we were in to try and find somewhere that was open. Ended up in a place called the Red Lion, which was, it was it was actually full of, of Leeds fans because obviously there was just people not wanting to, not in the night to end. But, they were so far beyond me in levels of pissness. I was, <laughs> I w- I'd left it too late to catch up. I yeah. was very much in the, I was Norwich 
in March. I was like, I was so far behind him. There was no possibility of me, <laughs> of me, of me ever catching up. So um, I get, then I got home from there about half past 12. Then I watched Match of the Day. Yeah. Because I wanted to see all the, uh, how that, how it unfolded. The back and forth. Exactly. Uh, it was so. glorious, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah I, I went to bed at about, I think it was about half 12, but I couldn't get to sleep till about half two. And then woke up before seven, I think it was. And just, I did whatever the opposite of doom scrolling is. <laughs> what is that? Is there a word for that? We need to coin one, don't we? Yeah. Um, uh, the thing about final days is though, sometimes they just sort of run the mill and they just go as you expect them to. So City go 2-0 up in no time and, and it's all over. I thought that was like a final day to beat all final days yesterday, particularly because Leeds in the end stayed up. But even so, it was kind of fairly under control relegation-wise. You know, it was fairly sort of standard process until Canos equalised and then got sent off. And at one point, Somebody further up the, the press box said to me, has somebody been sent off here? I said, <laughs> I said yeah, Canos. They, they were like, Canos only just come on, what's he done? I said, well, he got picked for taking his shirt off. Then he fouled Rafinha on the touchline. Were they both yellows? Yeah, they were both yellows. Yeah, he deserved to go. Right, so they're down to 10. No, they're down to nine because they've already lost the player <laughs> to injury. And this is what it was like. There was so much going on. And you find that as well at the end of these games. It was different in the promotion season because there's nobody in the ground. So, you know, it, and, and also they were promoted on a night when they weren't, weren't playing in the end. But everything just happens. You've got Rafinha in the way end. You've got when Harrison scored that goal, you had all the subs running over the pitch like they'd done at Wolves and then doing that funny thing where they all trail one behind each other round <laughs> in front of the home end. Gilhart sort of giving it a, um, a little bit of lip. And then you had Otter out there on his knees hugging Rafinha. You had Ailing, who seemed to have ditched his crutches by that point, just to say the medical department will be seething about that, I would imagine. And, you know, everybody just straight into it. And there's so much going on that you cannot keep on top of it. You, one eye's on Marsh, who's getting mobbed on the ground. And it felt like that for the last 15 minutes. And, and because Burnley had pulled it back to 2-1, you were sitting for a long time thinking, they actually only need a goal here. And this is all all ruined and I sort of tweeted with about I think it was when it went into injury time saying they do have to be dead careful at the moment because Burnley score one at Tough Moor and what looks like a really promising situation and what looks like salvation is just wrecked in an instant Very lazy though the whole thing Very it really was very It's funny we're talking about the, the last day as a whole I think it was about 20 minutes after the game when we went Man City won the league because <laughs> we, we just paid absolutely zero attention it's to like, that bit Oh yes, yeah, so There was actually a huge amount of drama in that yeah, the title race wasn't the but, but you, it was completely ignored. You also get those great moments where it was when Newcastle got the penalty for their first goal, clearly word spread in, in the away end. And then within about 20 seconds, Gilhart was firing that chance at the other end. And okay, it was disallowed and everything else, but that's when you start to lose a grip on what's going on where. Then there was a bit of cheering after Newcastle, like five minutes after Newcastle had scored, because obviously the away end thought it was 2 0, which it wasn't. And then we had Brentford thinking it was too all at Burnley when it wasn't. So you'd scroll in on Twitter or looking on the BBC site going, has anything happened? I'm just going, I don't, I don't think it has. You know, I can't see anything coming up. So you, you're kind of in the dark, even though you've got access to so much info and, and everything going on. And as I say, in the end, it's a, it's a great final day if it works out for you. If it works out for you, it's a, it's a great experience. Did this time, didn't it? Not Burnley, yeah. though, sadly for them. What was it like in the press box then at that moment when that second goal went in? And I guess it kind of just rolled into full time then, didn't it? Well, it did. Um, and also, you, he's trying to keep tabs on what's going on at Burnley. So has it actually finished at Tough Moor? Because it looks like Leeds are up um, and, and should be up. But obviously, if Burnley were to score two late goals, which didn't seem particularly likely, then it, it changed the game. So you kind of, rather than looking too closely at what's going on, you, you are sort of scrolling and scrolling and refreshing and, and refreshing. Although Sky delayed the start of the second half to make sure that it coincided with 
the kickoff at, at Tough Moor or close enough, basically so that you didn't have a massive lag between the end of the game in London and the end of the game in Burnley. But it, it was great. And I, I must have covered about a thousand games now, Leeds. You honestly don't get very many that are like that, you know, that intense. You have the occasional playoff game. You have the very, very rare, in Leeds' case, promotion game or a game that looks like it's going to get them promoted. And actually, I mean, going back over the years and for all that Leeds meandered in the EFL, you, you don't get that many relegation games. I mean, I was there when they went down in 2007 and the fans came on the pitch and, and there was all that going on. Since then, they've had little moments, um, particularly in the season when Redfern took over from Milinic, where you were concerned for them. But it hasn't really been like that. You know, most of their existence the last 20 years has been kind of chasing the playoffs, usually without success in, in getting there. So, as I say, it, it, it was an experience, but not one that you'd want to go through every season, to say the least. I've got um, a pal who's a, a relatively new Leeds fan in America, and he actually texted me and just said, Congratulations to you and all the Leeds fans. How the fuck can you handle that? Amazing. I know. Because <laughs> they, they don't have relegation in the States, obviously, in the sports. You kind of, you know, in, in actual fact, towards the end of the um, season in, in American sports, it sometimes pays to be bad, doesn't it? Because you get better draft picks and things like that. So it kind of works a little bit counter to that in this country. It's a very different world. And it's quite interesting to think that you've got people in the um, director's box and the boardroom at Leeds who aren't. You know, have learned about this and, and have immersed themselves in it over the last couple of years, but have not grown up with this at all. The 49ers, you know, that is, as, as to use a marsh phrase, they are locked in in the NFL. You know, they are just in there every season. And I still don't think that relegation would have been anything like as damaging as, not in a, a financial sense, as 2004 or 2007 when the club were in total disarray. So we're never going to recover from that rapidly. But it would have done immense damage, I think, to the goodwill in Leeds, which has already been burned to a certain extent by what's gone on. And the biggest benefit of this, aside from the fact that they get Premier League income again and you know those fixtures coming around, is that they actually get some time to think about this rationally now, to think about what they've got wrong and what they can change without the impact of losing control over various things. I mean, Rafinha and Phillips as two examples are both under contract. So as a club, you can conceivably sit and say, there are players, they've got deals, we'll dictate this. But when you've got Rafinha and Phillips in the championship from this situation that they've been in over the past two seasons, you don't dictate that at all. If Rafinha and Phillips decide that they want to go, it's now impossible to keep them. There are players you probably can't afford to keep. There are players who might come to your door and say, I, my stock's too high for this level. You know, I just don't want to be playing in the championship. The whole thing kind of runs out of your hands. You know, it, it, it's very difficult to control. You have to almost sideline mothball stadium development, all, all that sort of stuff. I don't think financially they wouldn't have been able to cope with this or to handle it, but it would have put huge pressure on them and it would have been an absolutely chaotic summer. There'd have been so much going on. As it is, I think there is a lot that needs to happen, but you can now do it in a properly controlled way and it is perfectly possible that in three or four years' time, people will look back on this season and say it was an absolute nightmare, but actually staying up was a big step towards better things. And one of the nice things about doing it yesterday, one of the probably secondary benefits, is that it's just neatly wrapped up. It's it's finished off the, the Bielsa era neatly. If this is the end of Rafinha's time at Leeds, he leaves with goodwill and no regrets that we've gone down and we're left with loads of questions about what if. It just sort of makes everything neatly tied off with a bow, doesn't it? I think Rafinha will go. I, I do think he, he will go this summer, provided somebody pays enough money. And again, you know, there was a relegation buyout clause in his deal. There isn't a buyout clause in the Premier League. So 
they get to dictate the price to leads, and that is really important when it comes to replacing them, but also for for your budget. And it does it does end the Bielsa era as it should have ended. The worst thing with that would have been it finishing. I know he he's been gone for for a couple of months now, but it finishing his fourth season with leads back where they started, and everybody kind of saying it was great. You know, the journey was absolutely great, and and it was. But here we are back in the EFL. And I think it can draw a line under it as well. It's been really difficult to move on. And we we got into talking about this last week, about the sense that the club actually didn't know or, or hadn't worked out how kind of culturally and emotionally they were going to shift from him when the time came. It was almost as big a decision to move on from him as it was to appoint him in the first place. But I think because they haven't gone down and because they have stayed up and because they've now got a transfer window coming in pre-season and, and Marsh is here, it does kind of end it all. And it does, as you say, it does draw a line under it, which I, I think is a good thing. It feels almost like, you know, this 12-game spell that we've had under Marsh, this this post-Bielsa bit, it's almost like this is the rebound from the breakup, if you know what I mean. And then we move on properly starting in the summer. I asked him yesterday, Marsh, how kind of crucial it was for his um, his impetus in the job. That, he, that they did stay up because it seemed problematic to me, the idea that he would have been brought in to, to avoid relegation. He hadn't avoided relegation. They'd gone down. There would have to be this summer of, of massive upheaval. And in the background, you would have the debate going on about is Marsh right for the club and, and is he right, right to take the club forward? I, I suspect to an extent that debate will still go on, but I think it would be it would be hard for anybody to begrudge the fact that having having managed to do this and keep them up, that Leeds are going to stick with them. I, I think I'd be surprised if any was, anybody was surprised about that, given that, you know, Arthur had targeted him so specifically and they'd given him a long contract and they were clearly, clearly very supportive of him. It always seemed likely that if they did stay in the Premier League, Marsh would be the man. And, and the statement that Radrazani put out after full time at Brentford said as much, you know, he'll, he'll be head coach going into into next season but I think the team are going to have to improve the team are going to have to play better than this tactically it's going to have to work better and and everything else but they will make signings this summer without a doubt things will change and again I think for Marsh to at the very least get a foothold in the job and and to get a second chance what he might think is a, a more proper chance to to win people over it seemed to me essential that this happened you know I, I think it would have been a really difficult sell had they gone down to say to people, this is definitely the right call. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Let's get into this message from Andrea Ratrizzani then, Phil, um, the contents of which you can find on the Leeds United website if you haven't seen it already. The hard work for the 22-23 season is already underway. They acknowledge the shortcomings of this season. Do you think that's a good first step, is owning what's happened? It's a good first step as a initial statement after after the game I think 
what people will look for is the more detailed explanation of what's gone on and a more detailed analysis of the, the particular failings. In part to explain things that have happened, so Beelsa Sacking, for example, has not really been spoken about at length by anybody, anybody high up in, in the club. And, you know, I think we all understand the reasons essentially, but it would be nice to hear it from them. And also, beyond Bielsa, nice to hear more about the justification for going for Marsh. Why specifically him? Again, we know how closely Otto followed him, how much he looked at the data, how, how much they've been in touch. But, you know, more of an explanation for why him, of all the coaches out there, why dead set on, on, on Marsh in particular. The question's obviously to answer about recruitment, which has not worked this season. You know, January was totally quiet when January needed to be a bit active. And the signings last summer didn't work and, and didn't really didn't really plug the gaps that Leeds needed to plug. Having said that, no matter how much they say and, and no, ma- no matter how much they talk, the judgment this summer will be on what they do really, won't it? I mean, it, it's fine saying, you know, we, we acknowledge mistakes with this or we acknowledge errors with that. But you want to see then that the players they sign show kind of material difference between signings that have been made before. They are already in the process of doing Brendan Aronson, who they obviously went for in January, but Salzburg didn't get, Salzburg didn't want to sell. But that there's a deal in place there now. It'll be somewhere in the region of £25 million plus. There'll be add-ons and, and everything as usual. That's big expenditure, you know, and, and but that is one that, that they were they were keen to do. And it was one that in January when it didn't happen, they said, we will do this. It was only ever going to happen if they stayed up. I mean, it was that totally inconceivable if they went down that Aronson would want to come to, to a championship side. So the changes will start and the, and the changes will have to have to happen. I think it, it would help from the point of view of goodwill and perception of the board to hear from them and to hear, hear them answer questions about what has happened over this season and why it is that they went from looking so stable and so organised last summer. Okay, a lot of people weren't that happy with the transfer window. I thought they could have done more. But as a club and as a collection of people, you know, the, the relationship between Bielsa and the board and Bielsa and the fans and the players and everything else, it seemed well set for another steady season and it's been quite the opposite. And I think some kind of reflection on why that is would be good. In the article, actually, that I referenced at the start of the show, um, the debrief on what's happened this season, you make mention of this, that there was perhaps some fraying in the relationship between the board and Bielsa around the January transfer window, which feels like it's something that I think they've been keen to be let known, if you like, but it's still relatively new information to get on the record. I think one of the things that you're going to see is that the pool of players that Marsh is open to signing will, I think, be far broader than the pool of players that Bielsa would be open to signing. Because I don't think Marsh will have such strict parameters for for what he wants. I I think he'll still have a fairly fixed idea of who suits his system. But it was always very, very focused um, with Bielsa. And rightly so, I suppose, because if, if... if you consider how strict and, and you know fixed his tactics were, how defined they were, you've got to have people who can fit into them. So you've got to have people who are good at pressing, people who can run certain distance, people who technically are good enough to, to use the ball in the, the tight areas and, and out wide in the way that Bielsa wanted them to. But things should change in that respect. It certainly seemed, and, and several people have said to me, that the relationship between the board and Bielsa never really recovered from the end of January onwards. And and I said on the pod last week, we went from, and I haven't dug out the programmes from back then, but I strongly suspect that if I did again, and was to read now what had been in say Kinnear's programme column after the window closed, there, there'll be an expression of confidence in there about believing that the squad have enough to stay up, which in the end they did. 
but by the skin of their teeth. And I don't think anybody would pretend that it was ever really that under control. But to go from that to sacking Bielsa two, three, four weeks later shows that clearly the confidence wasn't actually there or was starting to diminish or diminish them very, very rapidly. So it, it has, you know, it has grown to a halt. It did grow to, grow to a halt this season. As I said at the time, I don't think the players were crying out for Bielsa to go, but the place was at a very low ebb. It had been a tough week in particular, his final one, but the results had not been good for a while um, and had not really been great all season. But I wouldn't want this to be seen in the context of Bielsa's failure this season, really. I think it has to be collective. And I think you have to accept, even at a very basic level, without talking about squad size or injuries or, or whatever else, the, the big signings that they did this season, the only signings they did really, of no, I know they brought in Klassen from Norway, but Dan James, Junior Furpo, it hasn't made the team better, that recruitment. It definitely hasn't. And you have to acknowledge that and you have to act on it. And Victor Orta in all this, We've seen the um, video footage that's doing the rounds on social of him getting into exchanges with fans yeah. outside Brentford Stadium yesterday. I'm not sure, was that before the game or after the game? I'm or pretty sure it was before the game, yeah. Yeah, where you know people calling him a fraud and he's responding by saying there'd be no Premier League in 17 years without me. Is that wise for him to get involved in that sort of stuff? I mean, it must be hard to show restraint when you're being verbi- verbally abused, I appreciate, but is it not a time for, for humility now? Yes, um, but I mean... He, he is the sort of person who would react and you've seen that before. I, I wrote about it after the Brentford game, I think it was, when Bamford equalised late on and there was the altercation with the fan in front of the director's box. It doesn't, to my mind, paint the... Otter is that sort of character. And I think when the going's good, it can be seen, that can kind of be seen as an asset. It doesn't necessarily paint the right sort of picture when you're you're under pressure. I think, though, if you if you come and have a go at him, he's likely to, to respond. And I think that fraud is, is not a phrase I would use. But I think that, you know, the truth there is somewhere in the middle, isn't it? He can't expect to not be criticised for some of the recruitment. He definitely can't. You know, some of it has not worked and some of it has been expensive and, and hasn't had the right impact. But to say that, to, or to try and infer that getting to the Premier League was nothing to do with him would, would equally be ludicrous because it was his decision in the first place to go after Bielsa. It was Alter to a large degree who managed Bielsa, you know, as well as he could through through the three years and, and pretty effectively. There was a fairly good working relationship there, which was why it did work so well for the period that it did. But they are where they are now, which is that at the end of a, a really poor season, which by the skin of their teeth hasn't ended in relegation. And I think it is important to face up to the fact that people do want answers that and people are frustrated about it. But I do think there'll be a bit of clemency on the basis that they haven't gone down. I think, as I say, what people will want to see more than anything this summer is that there is some action to make sure that what happened this season doesn't happen again. On Aronson, what was the highest bid we went to in January and why did we not go higher, given we've gone back in frame at the end of the season anyway? And I know maybe it wasn't an ideal time for Salzburg to sell, but everyone has a price. And if he was the player we wanted and we were going to get him anyway, was it not worth stretching a little bit more in January? Yeah, I think that's a, a fair question. The answer to that, they, they went to around about £20 million first time round. Well, I say first time round in January, there were two bids in January. The first was a little bit shy of £20 million and then the second the second was round about bang on the money of 20 The answer to that seemed to be that Salzburg just weren't going to sell him and it felt like a Ben White situation at Brighton in that summer where they pushed it and pushed it and pushed it and Brighton just said, look, we just don't want to talk about this. Stop emailing us because we're not interested. <laughs> Salzburg wanted him for the knockout tie against Bayern Munich in the Champions League. They wanted him for the Austrian Bundesliga running as well. They were going for the title. Is it the case that they don't want to be on the hook for 
you know, another 20 million quid if we do go down as well. So it makes more sense from a financial point of view to commit to that money now when we've got Premier League status secured. Yeah, yes, possibly. Although had Salzburg said yes to those offers, they'd have had to have spent the money. It wouldn't have played well at all if it had become public that you've put these bids in and you're going after this player. Salzburg say, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll have the money. Thanks very much. And then you say... Oh, you want the money? Oh, right. Well, oh. Well, wait a minute. Yeah, no. The, what are you supposed to do? Say no. And then we'll come back. John Kevin who? And this, yeah. So they would have signed them. I mean, if if that had come up in January they, and if, if Salzburg had, had buckled in January, they would have would have taken him. It seems slightly odd to me because the, the odds of Salzburg beaten Bayern Munich seemed as slim as they were in the end. And the odds of them winning the Austrian Bundesliga seemed as favourable as they were. I guess you don't want to compromise yourself. And in some ways, well, not in some ways, in every way, if you are a fan of RB Salzburg or if you run the club, having got to the end of the season with them and then sold them for more money than you were getting offered in January anyway, that is a really good way to operate. You know, that's business. Pick your time to do it. Maximise your income. Make sure that, that competitively you're not compromised. Um, Worked for Swansea. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Michael, Michael, what do you want to see from Auto this summer? Just buy some better players. <laughs> I think at the lower end of his recruitment, you can point to some real big successes in there. The fact we've had hardly paid anything for the likes of Gellhart and Greenwood and some, the, some of the players that got us up, remember, were his buys as well. Mm-hmm. But the, at the more expensive end of it, you cannot avoid the fact there's some hugely expensive failures in there. I mean, we're, we're two years in with Rodrigo now and he's getting worse. Firpo has not shown any real sign of being a better than Alioski so far and that's explicitly what he was purchased to do was to be a, a, a much better left back and then you've got John Kevin Augustan like lurking in the background as a potential 18 million quid we're going to have to pay with presumably if that goes through as well there's the potential for him the player himself then to come after the club for some wages as well that he hasn't received so there's there's a huge amount of money potentially wasted there it's the expensive end where there's a problem you know if you do a list of, of transfers you can easily put click strike you know, others like that into a list of many good signings. But there is a list of signings that have not worked. Rodrigo being, I think, the, the one that, that jumps out. And others that have been a little bit more unfortunate, like Robin Koch, who is, I still feel it's injury as much as anything with Koch. I, I feel like a, there is a good player there. I think, um, I think, I think Koch's looked really good at yeah, the end of season, and, and actually. He's somebody I, I'd want to see them, see them persist with. But in this league, when you start spending money, it's the big expenditure that has to pay off. That's what offers you the chance to become considerably better. And Rafinha falls into the, the category of players who've been really, really cleverly recruited. And they, when, if and when he goes, they'll make a lot of money on him. He's going to go to a very, very high level. And then, you know, with Brazil, he's pretty much there already. But yeah, I mean, Michael, they're saying, saying some better players. I, I, for what it's worth, I think it is that simple. And I'm not saying that the recruitment is that simple because it never is. You know, you, it, it's always very complex and, and very detailed. But that's what it, as a basic starting point, that's what it's going to come down to is making the squad, you know, fundamentally better so that it competes in a better way and so that it isn't as reliant on 23s, essentially. I mean, 23s have been padding out this squad all the way through the season, padding out match day squads all the way through the season and not in the way that was intended. You know, the idea that you have three or four of the best of them who are the kind of fillers around this first team is is admirable. And if it works and, and in, if you squad strong enough, then great. But the idea is not to have a bench full of academy players. Mm. It's just too, it's too risky. It's worth saying in Alter's defence as well, that the Premier League benches are full of players who were like 20 to 30 million pounds who have been failures. It's really not unusual in the Premier League that players who 
players of that caliber are just kicking around, not well, no, really uh, with the position. Absolutely, because when I came in before we started recording, I said to Dan, "You know, it's it's a fair way, John Aronson, that they're they're going to spend." And you said, "Well, it's kind of what players like that cost, and it is." And and football's changed to the extent that actually squads do now have, or, or the, some of your bigger clubs have squads in which players who cost a lot of money don't really feature that much and and aren't really that. Integral aren't that pivotal to the team or look at Everton to, to for God's sake. Yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely. So it's very easy to to waste money and it's very easy to to get it wrong. I think it leads though. It it is a bit more complex than that, isn't it? It wouldn't have been difficult to make the squad bigger. It wouldn't have been difficult to have guarded more against injuries. It wouldn't have been difficult to have looked at certain players and thought, are they going to be able to sustain the form all the way through the season? I always caveat that by saying that I did not think it would come to this. I didn't think it would come to a last day shootout at Brentford. But as I was writing the debrief and as you were looking back through all the factors, it did kind of make sense. You know, the puzzle did come together. Do you think maybe we'll see a pivot slightly away from the, I don't know, the, the Spanish contact book, if you like, where we maybe look elsewhere, France, for example, maybe we saw like Noah Lang as well, who's been in sort of Belgium, that neck of the woods, players uh, from across Europe. Because... I remember when we spoke to Otto when you were in hospital, Phil, when you, um, you had your time off after your operation and he was saying, well, you know, my area of strength of knowledge is is that part of the world because I'm obviously yeah. cause I'm Spanish. Does that give you cause for concern that you look like, a, a, again, we go back to Junior Furpa, I feel a bit sorry for him really, as a, an Otto signing, if you like. Because again, you, you're looking at someone there and you think he just does not have the defensive quality. So what's he seen in him? There'd is, be is, a, bit of, a bit of both is, here. Is, is, is there some confirmation bias maybe in there? I don't know about that, but it tended to be the case that Alter would zone in on players, would come up with lists of, of options, and Bielsa, from time to time, they would find themselves watching the same player. So they, from what I was told, they, they both knew a bit about Rafinha um, before they actually got in to get him. But in other circumstances, Alter would serve up a list and Bielsa would go through it and would analyse in the way that he did players and would say, yes, I'll have him, no, I won't have him, hence why you end up going after Conor Gallagher. Hence why he was really big on like John Swift at Reading, that one never happened, but he was a player who... I think a lot of people would have said John Swift, but you know, just liked him, just liked what he did, saw saw how he fitted. Otter isn't the only recruitment person at Leeds. He, he has a, a team. There is at least one English person in there who will have knowledge of this country. Otter will have knowledge of of this country as well. How much they change? I mean, for example, they're looking at Calvin Ramsey, at Aberdeen defender up there, right back up there, young teenager who is very, very talented. Again, I think that is a a good player to take on, I would only question how much that changes your side overnight. But it has to be said that actually right back is a position that they need to start preparing for. Now, you know, they really, really do need to think about what they're going to do as and when Luke Ayling's time is, is up. And they have signed Drammy. They do still have Drammy on the books. I think there's going to have to be some consideration about where that goes after everything that, that went on in January. But from what I'm told, there is at least one centre-forward in the Premier League that they're looking at and I think they will do a centre forward. I think they have to do a centre forward. I mean, it was it was just sod's law at Brentford that you know you, you go down there thinking, I wonder if Bamford might um, if Bamford might end up being the sort of un- unexpected hero in this day. And then the first WhatsApp I got on Sunday morning, I was about to get on the train, was saying, I think Bamford's got COVID. And you thought, if ever this it was this season in a nutshell, there you have it. So they have to be. They have to have more. Padding in those areas, but not just padding, they have to have more available quality so that when Bamford's out, you have a goal scorer, you have a centre forward who you can just rely on to say, you're in. 
Gilhart, I think, is, is going to come without a doubt. And, you know, he's he's had a very good season, I think. For the little he's played, I think he's had a really, really good season. Uh, but it does need to be a bigger squad and it does need to be more quality across the board. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Let's talk about Jesse Marsh. And he's come in and done the job that was asked of him. Got the points that helped us stay up. I'm not sure all, any of us expected it to be as quite as hairy as it was there um, towards the end. Do you think the decision to bring him in is now vindicated? Is it the case of the ends justifies the means? Well, on the basis that they haven't gone down, you can't say that it's the wrong decision. And we could spend hours and hours going around in circles. And I've had this conversation with lots of the friends of mine, you know, about would be also have got the same tally of points, would they have stayed up regardless had they not made a change? The points per game between Marsh and Bielsa wasn't vastly different, but that is just a stat on paper. And I think you do have to accept that back in February when the change was made, there were big problems with the team. You know, there clearly were, tactically and particularly in terms of the goals conceded. You know, I mean, that was the thing going into the last day of the season. It was it was set up for them to go down on goal difference. And by a mile as well, the, the goal difference was a really big handicap by that stage. But yes, they, they have stayed up, so, so they will feel vindicated. And I always felt, I mean, I, I've, I always thought that if they went down, they might be minded to stick with him anyway. They'd given him a really long contract, but I always thought if they stayed up, then they, then they definitely would. I think Marsh would say himself that it's been a struggle to convince people and that if, if you've been totally objective about the performances, they, they haven't been brilliant. But then these aren't circumstances in which a manager is likely to deliver brilliant performances. And you cannot rule out from the, you know, the, the discussion about that, the, the fact that the squad is not good. It's not good. There have been a lot of players in it who haven't performed particularly well or consistently. There have been a hell of a lot of injuries. It's, it's, not been, it's not been what you need in the Premier League. So while there are things you can judge him on, and I think people have, and I think for that reason, people are still to be convinced, there's, there's a hell of a lot that actually makes it quite difficult to say is this going to work? Is it not? I'm at the moment. I, I couldn't sit here and say this is going to be a, a definite success. In the way that that first game Bielsa had against Stoke, you came out and you thought this is quite some. This could be really, really special. This, but Bielsa had had preseason and they'd had the transfer window. Although it has to be said, if you look back to the teams that he used early on, it wasn't really transfer dependent. Those lineups it was very much players who were who were already there. But he had had pre-season and that does make a, a big difference. I think Marsh will know already that he'll be scrutinised next season and he, and he will be judged. But I think it's going to take pre-season behind him and a transfer window behind him for everybody to be able to say this is what he's about. And more to the point, this is what his team looks like. Does he get the benefit of a clean slate sort of from now because we've achieved the objective of staying up? 
I feel like he should. I feel like he should. And I say that as somebody who has criticised quite a few of the games um, and who hasn't been totally sold on on what's been going on. But you will, before long, all being well, have Aronson in through the door. There will be signings. There will be changes to the squad. It will look different. He will have friendlies through the summer where he can start to, you know, to, to, to but also, you know, long stretches of training as well where he can start to, to work on systems and, and change things around. I, I think given that he's staying, you have to give him a clean slate to, to work on. But not just him. I mean, everybody is going to have the pressure next season of making sure that it's not like this again. You know, that they will. I think in the early part of next season, the thing that people will be looking for are, are really clear signs that it has changed and it is different and it won't be the same kind of toil that we've had these past nine months. I mean, there are aspects of his character that have rubbed people up a little bit the wrong way as well, I think. Maybe the style of interviews, the number of interviews as well, because we saw yeah, nothing the, from Bielsa. So I wonder, is, is he maybe suffering a little bit just from being not Marcelo Bielsa? Oh yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> I, th- I think whoever came in was probably going to suffer from not being Marcelo Bielsa. Some to more degree, some to lesser degree, because there are coaches in their own right who could come in and said, well, you know, I'm, I'm 100% I'm my own man and I've got my own track record. I mean, to pluck a name out of the air, imagine Leeds had done Conte after Bielsa. Conte is not Bielsa, but Conte could quite easily sit there and say, well, I've won the Premier League, I've won Serie A, I've got this, that and the other. I don't, I don't need to sit and, and compare myself to Bielsa. But Marsh doesn't really have that track record. And also, it's going to be almost impossible for anybody to build up the kind of respect and, and admiration that Bielsa had here. I haven't seen it with another manager in all the time that I've covered Leeds, not even remotely close. So yes, that was difficult. And, and there was a, a conscious effort in the last kind of 10 days to two weeks of the season to expose Marsh to the media less, to, to invite fewer interviews because it had got to the point where it was a case of saying too much in circumstances where the only thing that mattered was getting points, getting results, winning games. And that's almost where you're on a hide into nothing, where everything you say is bound to be attacked or, or is at risk of being attacked. And he did say some things he shouldn't have said, you know, the, the Mother Teresa stuff and everything else was not never going to play well. But when it's not going well, you're at risk of people hating everything that you say because that, that's football. I think my concern with him so far is that I still don't I still don't know what he's trying to do. The games where we've played better, which would I would include the Leicester game, which we actually lost. First half against Norwich was quite decent, but obviously Norwich was terrible. And then the last couple of games this season are the ones where we've, we've maintained some width. And it, it felt like in the middle, there was more of an effort to play a more Red Bull style of being of being more central and more direct. And those games were awful. And it, and so it, it kind of concerns me that that's what we're going to attempt to do next year. Now, maybe it's the fact we've we've gone between these two styles. Maybe that is just a demonstration that he's willing to be a bit more flexible tactically. Because with Bielsa, you kind of knew what you were going to get regardless of who you were playing. But I, I don't know, the, the games that we've won under him have been against Norwich and Watford, who were both terrible by far and away the worst team been re- looked relegated from kind of September September onwards and then against a 10-man Wolves and a 9-man Brentford and that's not a great set of results when you look at it I know it has been enough to keep us up and it sounds miserable to say to kind of complain about those wins but I'm not have not been convinced by any of them no, no I'm not I'm not either but I'm sorry fellow just one second I was just going to say the pattern of games though when you look at them so the Leicester and Villa were the first two games but then he's gone on the five game unbeaten streak we lost the three then to the three you'd expect to lose and then we've got something out of both Brighton and Brentford 
So you, think, you can argue uh, we've got points out of the games uh, you'd expect to get points out of. Yeah, I think Michael's point, and I'd agree with this, is that they didn't necessarily play particularly well in the games that they won. So that starts to boil down into this sort of classic football scenario of if you get the results, it, it doesn't really matter. And clearly over time, it, it does matter. There are things you can do with this, though. This squad was constructed and made to play with width and kind of uber width under Bielsa. And you remember, particularly in the first season, the way Harrison just used to used to be on the left touchline all the time. That That's where, where he was. So if you want to play in a different style and if you want to play in more of a narrow formation, and there isn't anything wrong with that if it works, but I think you need different players and you need a completely different makeup of squad to be able to do that. And I and I think that comes back to what we've been discussing with, you know, the a squad kind of caught between two systems. Even though it wasn't working for Bielsa towards the end, that was what they were built for. And they've got caught in the middle between trying to shift to something else that, that really hasn't worked. And I, I I think Michael's absolutely right, particularly yesterday at Brentford. There did seem to be more width than the team and it did seem to benefit them. And I don't know whether it was as a result or or whether the, it, the, having the width helped this as well. But the midfield had a little bit more space to play in and, and it was less congested. I mean, there was one point against Chelsea because that started with uh, wingers out wide, Rafinha and, and Harrison. And then it all became so central there was a stage where the players were kicking the ball off each other because they were too close. You know, they were, they were kind of packed in and no space to work with. It was better, which makes me think that one of two things for, for Mars to learn, either that tactically it does need width and that's something that, that he should think about with his team, or if it's not going to be a team who particularly rely on wingers and, and playing out wide, make the changes to the squad that let you play in a different way. That, do, that's what you have to do. You've got to tailor it for yourself. Do, do you think you've seen signs of him learning though over the course of these 12 games, particularly in the last two where we've seen that extra width that maybe that plays to the strength of the squad? Perhaps, but it's difficult to tell on the basis of just a couple of games. You know, I think if you get seven, eight, nine into next season and you can see quite clearly what's different or, or proper patterns of play that are there consistently and also the ability to select a team or the willingness to select a team where, you know, I, I, I touched on this about Rodrigo in, Rodrigo out, Cleek in, Cleek out. Cleek was on the bench again on on Sunday at Brentford yesterday and it was the right decision in the end, it was. But it it does make you feel that actually falling upon an 11 and a, a strategy that you want to stick with week on week has been tough, stroke, impossible um, in, in this stage. And it hasn't cost them in terms of league position, but a lot of that, will they will need to bottom that out before next season and when they get back into into proper games starting again. It's an incredibly small data set we're working with as well, isn't it, with Marsh? Because he's, he's come in for these games and the aim was always to stay up. And so you, you can feed the results in and other people's results and you go, well, at the end of it, success. But you can you can look at one game through there, the Wolves game, which truthfully we were never going to get anything from that game until the sending off. And that flips the whole thing. If they hadn't had a man sent off in that game, we'd probably be sat here now talking about relegation and making a change in summer yeah, so but, but they did didn't they and we just, but, uh, no, you, you can only play the ball as it lies I'm saying on such a small set of data though yeah. little things like that can completely turn an opinion on it whereas it's it, it's it's more complex than that well the data set that we do have is 15 points from 12 games for Marsh no matter how they came about 1.25 points per game which is tracking significantly higher than we had under Bielsa which was about 0.88 I think it was when I worked it out over the course of a season that's 47.5 points which puts you comfortably mid-table at this rate you're about 12th something like that so you know you consider as Marsh has spoken about the stress of the situation maybe you're pushing 50 points over the course of a season something like that I, which is great I, w- I wonder though if, if this really comes down to this thing about moving on from Bielsa emotionally and culturally that it's been 
incredibly difficult for everybody to say, look, at this stage, does it really matter if we're playing well as long as we drag ourselves out of this? You know, if it has to be a kind of short-term model to get through to the summer and then reset, so be it. I think everybody found it really difficult to let go of the football that we've been seeing for the three years, not so much this season, I have to say, but, you know, the previous three years, to let that go and then for what replaced it, to not kind of float your boat straight away and, and to not to not click straight away. I don't know, the, the the circumstances for coming in with 12 games to go were not good and it interested me a lot that Marsh, when he was first offered the job, said no. You know, he said, I don't think this is the right time. I, he, he wanted to come in at the end of the season if Bielsa was going because precisely what you said, you get a clean slate. You know, you have a full open summer in which you can change the squad tactically but also via recruitment as opposed to coming in in February where, I mean, even, even something that the club said to me when when they changed head coach, it's a bit of a toss of a coin, this. There's 12 games to go. There's nothing to say that it will pick up. It's just that the club just didn't think it was going to pick up on the Bielsa, so they decided to... It's kind of the opposite of better the devil you know. But it it's not fertile ground for a head coach to do great things. A summer where you sign players and you spend a fair amount of money and you have pre-season is fertile ground to do good things. Therefore, you would expect to see better performances on the other side of, of the summer. But I'm not surprised that Leeds have stuck with him because, as I say, they went after him specifically. He was the he was the choice of success of the Bielsa. They gave him a long contract and I did think they would stand by him. And removing all that stress, all that pressure that's accumulated over the season. I mean, you must feel lighter today, like having seen that yesterday and knowing that Leeds are staying up. Yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I mean, the whole thing about being able to control this summer they have that luxury now. Not entirely. You know, if Rafinha is going, Rafinha will go. Um, well, what but, does this summer look like then? What do you think? Well, I I don't see this summer being... I, I was going to say I don't see it being massively eventful. I don't mean that because I think they do have to recruit in, in fairly big numbers. Whether they will is is kind of up to them, but I do think you... I think you need to see sort of four, five, six added to, to this squad. I think there are still existing players in it who are definitely of use and, and definitely of value. But you have to accept that it hasn't been big enough. And, and also, even away from the size of it, the quality just hasn't been there in the performances. And so you have to rationally ask the question, are these players going to suddenly pick it up again? Or have some of them gone over the hill? Have some of them given as much as they can give? And do they now need to be squad players rather than starters and, and so on? What does it look like? I do think Rafinha will go. I think it's likely that, that he will. Phillips, I'm much more in two minds about. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Phillips signs a new contract. Equally, I think, Manchester City are the team to watch with him because they do like him. Fernandinho obviously is has come to the end of the line and they'll be after a, a defensive midfielder. The fact that they have money and the fact that they like Phillips tells you that that could happen. But equally, if Phillips was to sign a new contract, it would make sense. You know, I could see him giving the club another year. Beyond that, it should be a transfer window where, OK, you might have to say to Rodrigo, this isn't working, we're going to gonna kind of cut our losses with you or we're going to listen to offers for you, whatever, however you want to put it. But it should be fairly orderly. They should know what they want to do. They've certainly planned ahead in the mindset that they would be a Premier League club with Aronson, you know, the deal in the background for him, looking at Ramsey, which again, they'd have to be a Premier League club to beat Liverpool to, to him. Centre-forwards in the Premier League, you have to be offering them the same at the very least um, in order for, for them to want to come. So yeah, I'd like to think that it will be, it should be set up to be a decent summer. What do you think we need this summer? Lots of central midfielders. Yes. <laughs> just lots and lots of them. So we, yeah, so, we, so we never run out again. So because we never I, don't run think, out exactly. I, I don't think Aronson ticks that box fully. He is an attacking midfielder, mm. but that's not solely where it's needed. 
You know, you're yeah. thinking someone someone in the mould of Calvin, mm-hmm. whether it's a case of replacing him or putting someone alongside him, somebody who can sit in there. And, and, and I, th- I think if Rafinha does leave as well, we need to think very seriously about replacing the, the goals and assists he provides as well, because without him this season, we are down yeah. long ago. He's He's by far our best player, and he's the one that we always lean on to produce something. And is that about, though, maybe spreading that? Not risk is not the right word, but, you know, so let's say they put in three players of about the price of Aronson. Let's say we, we, we can sort of equate selling Rafinha with recruiting three players, let's say. And I know this sounds very sort of Villa selling Grealish type logic, but, you know, looking to get that output across the front line rather than just relying on the single player. But that's what you do if you're a club like Leeds, as Villa did with, with Grealish. If you're City, you just sign Haaland and you sign Grealish and you sign Phillips, whoever, because you have the money. Um, and the same at, at certain other clubs as well. But Leicester have done this and Villa did it with Grealish. You sell him, you get a lot of cash. And you do, you, you try to make sure that your team loses its best player, but as a, you know, by way of compensation, is strengthened in, in various positions. I mean, I'm only speculating here, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if Rafinha left if they went back in for Noah Lang because they do really like Noah Lang and they did like him last summer. And that, um, was, a, that was a player that we've said before that Bielsa wasn't convinced about his yeah, defensive so they, qualities. Yeah, so they went for Dan James yeah. um, and that was, a, that was a deal that Bielsa was quite happy to say yes to, you know, 100% because he, he, he was very, very into James. So, you know, that, that can happen, but I think for the back, we'd like to think that you'd get more out of Forshaw next season possibly, but let's not get the, into the you know, back into the conversation of let's rely on him. James Garner, who's been at Forest on loan from Man United, is somebody who's been mentioned to me a couple of times as somebody they, they sort of like, speculatively, would kind of fit there. You know, there are ways and means of doing it. Yeah, and with Forshaw, you've obviously got to be careful not to be over-reliant on him as he's had another fairly serious injury towards the end of the season that's ruled him out and, you know, another year older. you just got to you got to kind of manage him, it feels like now. The other impossible job is replacing Stuart Dallas this summer because he's going to miss the, a good part of next season, isn't he, with his injury and after something serious like that, another mm. another year on the clock, you don't know exactly what you're going to be getting back either when he does return and what he's done for us over the past few years, filling in every position where required is, um, well, that is itself the job of about six players. Yeah, I was going to say, you might argue though that that's perhaps a bad indicator about the state of the squad, the fact that we have been so reliant on him and we did, and again, going back to the idea of spreading the risk and spreading the responsibility, if you like. I, I was just going to say, actually, I, I wonder if we'll start to see them move to a position where versatility in the squad isn't anywhere near as essential as it has been previously. You know, that thing of more... I don't know whether round pegs and round holes would be a fair thing to say because a lot of the players that Bielsa asked to be versatile were very good at doing it. And actually, in, you know, in Dallas's case... When he had that great run in the centre of midfield, he looked as good as anybody else there. He really did start to look like a like a number eight. But I have a feeling that it might, as it moves further down the line, it might be more a case of conventional players in conventional positions. And you do find like wingers and fullbacks, you can barely put a piece of paper between between their responsibilities these days. Absolutely. Can you? And also, on the the forward line, maybe you forward four or thereabouts are all interchangeable in, in, in the modern sense like they you yeah, put them across I, different places in the front line I, I was down at the Football Writer, um, Writers Association dinner the other week and um, Mo Salah won the um, the Men's Player of the Year award and um, he was being interviewed on the stage and they said to him you know talking to him about being a striker centre forward and this that and the other and he he was joking saying well I'm not really I'm, I'm, I'm kind of left winger but he's a left winger. He's as much of a centre forward as a left winger can ever be, and it is it you know it does tend to be the case that, like you say, wingers can be fullbacks, 
fullbacks can be wingers. The guy who plasters our house is absolutely convinced that Leeds left back should be Dan James. Um, so you know, um, so if you're listening, Jesse, there you go. Problem, problem solved. Um, but that, but you know, that's that's kind of kind of how it is. Um, and Bielsa was massively of that mindset. You know, we we spoke to him a few times about fullbacks and wingers, and he would always say they kind of do the same thing. Well, let's wrap up the show now. We're wrapping it up for a couple of weeks as well. Um, just going to have a little break. I think everybody needs it, don't they? After... Especially people listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> it's been so... Every Friday morning, it's like, oh, Christ, here so we go again. bloody stressful. But You say a little break. We're walking 92 miles in a few days. There is that. Yeah, if you do want to uh, drop a few quid into the cause, <laughs> we're raising money for Andy's Man Club and the Samaritans and head to the squareball.net forward slash Gary Speed if you fancy chucking a few quid at that. If you can't, just spread the word, pop it on socials or whatever. We'll appreciate your... Uh, Great causes. Yeah, your help with that. That'll be awesome. Yeah, we yeah, we are having a break for the second half of this week of sorts. But um, it's, yeah, it's going to hurt, isn't it? Yeah, but no more than this season has. This is true. Yeah, it feels like the penance at the end of it, doesn't <laughs> this it? This needs like a montage. You know, at the end of the Champions <laughs> League final where you get a, a quick run through of everything that's gone on in the 90 minutes. Here's nine months in 30 seconds. Yeah, well, I've had a week or two off after that. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens with Leeds. You never know if they start moving early in the transfer. I know you love the transfer market, Phil, so we'll get Immensely. right into that. Immensely. Do you know what? I wasn't even out of Marsh's press conference yesterday when we, we got the shout about Aronson. I was like, not even on Monday morning. <laughs> Give me a break, man. <laughs> you're not, you're not going to get your head sliced open this summer to avoid it. No, no. As tempting as the thought was, actually, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with it this well, time. It's not been a vintage season. 17th place finish, but it's enough based on what we've seen across the last nine or 10 months, which has been really, really hard work. Finally, player of the year and young player of the year. Is it got to be Rafinha player of the year and Joffe young player? Melier. Yes. Melier young player for me. You think? He's played every game, hasn't he? Um, I would go Rafinha player of the year by an absolute mile and no no contest there. And I'd go Gilhart. Um First season he's been in, some of what he's done has been absolutely unbelievable. I think Melier just purely because we forget that he's young sometimes because he, mm. play, he plays every every game and goal and it's unusual for, for a man of his age to do that. So, But no, he's, he's, not that he's had um, a brilliant season, but I think he's he's done he's pulled off some good saves. But, for but props for his temperament as well because there are a lot of keepers who would have felt like throwing in the towel this season. There's, I mean, what, what was Se- it in the 79. end? 79 goals. Yeah, 79. 79 goals. And I think I'm right in saying every single one in the league conceded by him. He, he came off against Wolves, didn't he? But Klassen didn't, didn't let any in. Um, and I don't. It's not to say that none of those goals have been Millie's fault, but um, quite honestly, I don't envy him that job. Well, there we go. That wraps up the Phil High Show for the 2021-22 season. Thank you for your company. We'll be back in a couple of weeks then. And uh, we go again. Looking forward to it. Immensely. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. We'll see you in a bit. The Phil Hay Show. 